Welcome to Textile Update, the podcast where we can share our passion for textiles, fibers, and yarns. This is Gwendolyn Hustvedt. This is the first of two podcast episodes where I talk about fabrication, the process of making fabric, and I'm really going to narrow in on weaving in particular because it's uh, complex and ancient. Now that we have yarn, we can talk about the next stage in the textile process, which we're going to call fabrication. Fabrication is a perfect word for it because, of course, we often refer to textiles as fabrics, right? Although we could talk about the fabric of space, and in that case, we're simply meaning some sort of planar, pliable structure, right? So the fabric of space would be a plane in space that's folded by, for example, your warp drive in Star Trek to to travel faster than light, right? We're not going to talk about that. As intriguing as that is, we're going to be talking about planar pliable structures made from yarns or fibers that have been entangled or non-yarn polymer fills. To make fabrics from yarns, we would either interlace or interloop them. If we interlace them, we are typically making a fabric that using a process called weaving. If we interloop them, we're typically making a fabric in a process called knitting. Now I say typically because in fact, there are some very minor um, uh, little complex ways of interlacing uh, yarns that might not be considered weaving. And there are definitely ways of interlooping yarns that might not be considered knitting. Uh, and uh, so uh, for example, netting, right? Making a net using knots. How does that fit into this uh, process? And yet fishermen have been netting for a very long time. So we're going to mainly focus on weaving, which is done with interlacing, and knitting, which is done with interlooping. A bit later on, we'll see that uh, we'll also talk about non-yarn or non-woven fabrics that are made using either entangled fibers or, as I mentioned before, films. I want to introduce uh, some different terms and concepts in this area. I really think that the best way to understand how weaving works is to watch some videos about weaving. And you can find a lot of those available on the internet. Especially look for videos from museums that host um, uh, old looms uh, or uh, are about how weaving was done in ancient times. I think that can be really helpful in expanding your understanding. But my goal in this particular podcast is to help you understand how what happened during weaving impacts the final product, right? And so I want to uh, really focus on that. Let's add some uh, concepts uh, when we interlace or interloop uh, fibers or yarns. Uh, we then begin to think about something called raveling, which is uh, can the yarns or fibers actually come out of the fabric, right? So if we can pull a yarn that's been interlaced from the side, that would be unraveling. If we can pull on a thread sticking out of a knit and loops begin to uh, unloop, that would be um, unraveling. Uh, with Knits in particular, we have an additional concern, which is called uh, snagging, and that would be where a, uh, a yarn or fiber is uh, pulled away from the surface of the fabric, right? So in your trunk, if the felt that your trunk is made of is not snag resistant, then uh, every time you put a, a basket that you had your 
you know, your emergency supplies in, in your trunk, um, the fibers in the basket could snag on the, the felt in the trunk and make it hard to pull the basket out. I'm trying a non-woven uh, non example there to help you see it applies to both. But uh, a fiber performance property like yarn slippage would definitely have to do with the fabric made from yarn, right? So ravel resistance, will it unravel? Uh, snag resistance, can it be snagged, right? But yarn uh, slippage is if yarns actually slip around in the construction, in the fabrication. And uh, this can be problematic, uh, especially if you've used a construction method, you've taken the fabric, you've made it into a product of some sort, and then the yarn starts to slip away from a seam and leave a, an area where you just have exposed the sewing thread. And this can very often happen in the crotch area of garments and be very distressing to the customer. Another property we don't talk about with yarns or fibers is air permeability. So how can air pass through the, the pores, the openings between the interlacings or inner loopings? Knits are almost always more air permeable than a similar woven made from similar size yarns uh, with a similar amount of coverage. And that's because the interlooping in the knits is done in such a way that it can be stretched. And when it's stretched, the loops shorten and uh, uh, move out. If you think about it, if you're taking an amount of fabric and you're moving it over a greater distance, it can just cover less. Uh, and so for this reason, uh, it would never be a good idea to choose a knit for a situation where you really wanted to do filtering, for example, and you were concerned about uh, air permeability. Now, if you wanted the air to be permeable, then knits would be a great choice. Uh, we can also think about dimensional stability. Uh, we thought about this a little bit with uh, fibers before, but I was really presaging this or, or kind of um, casting ahead towards this idea that if we make a fabric, if the yarns in the fabric or the fibers in the fabric can move around and change position, then we could lose the dimensional stability of the fabric. And there are some construction methods, fabrication methods, that really um, can exacerbate or, or increase this problem, right? Um, the interlacing holds the yarns down uh, more than the interlooping. So we can see that a typical woven fabric has maybe a 3% shrinkage is what we would plan for in the industry, whereas a knitted fabric we would plan for about 5% shrinkage just because the yarns are, are more, uh, more movable within that um, structure. Now I want to talk very specifically about weaving now that I've added several new properties for us to think about when we consider a fabric. With weaving, uh, we first begin to think about the idea that there are two different directions in a fabric. Uh, so the warp yarns, which can sometimes also be called ends, but I'm going to call them warp yarns, are in the lengthwise direction. They're often very long and they are held under tension and pulled up and down. So these yarns are uh, are changed or have to be uh, selected based on this situation. They're held under tension. And the tension could be provided by your body as you lean back on a strap that's attached to a, uh, a bar of some sort that the warp yarns are hooked to. Uh, and then another bar may be hooked to the you know side of your house or a tree or a frame of some sort, right? Um, the yarns could be under tension 
mentioned because they are uh, held by uh, chunks of, of clay that have been wrapped around them and that are pulling them downwards. Uh, this is how uh, war parents were held under tension and we can find in the archaeological record in ancient looms. So we can tell where a loom was because we can find these dollops of clay in a straight line. Uh, this was discovered by some archaeologists who actually recreated uh, the looms. Um, and so these, these yarns are in the lengthwise direction and they're typically longer than the yarns in the crosswise direction. Now the crosswise direction can be called the weft or the fill or the pick. This is why it's called a pick glass actually, not because you're picking out yarns, but because you're looking for picks. It could also be called the woof. So there's a lot of names and I'll try to typically use the word filling simply because it's not as weird and it starts with a different letter than warp. And so in your mind, you're like filling. Yeah. And you fill up the yarn, you set the warp and then you fill up the fabric with filling yarn. So that that's one way to think about it. So a loom, which I've already mentioned is a machine on which woven fabrics are made. And we wouldn't think of some sticks and some string as being a machine, but given what looms can do and the fact that looms are in fact the ancestor of computers, we really should be considering those uh, women who were sitting there at these looms uh, in the ancient times as operating some of our very first machines. So the warp yarns are controlled under tension in such a way as to allow the weft yarns or the filling yarns to be inserted. Uh, the warp yarns in um, industrial weaving are very often sized, that's the name of it, sizing, sometimes also called slashing, uh, or it's basically a kind of starch that's applied to the warp yarns. Uh, this makes them stiffer, so they're easier to control, uh, um, sticks down the loose fibers, and uh, so that they snag a bit less on the filling yarn as it passes by, and also makes it stronger, which I think is the most important reason. So we need to remember that if we've applied starch, at some point we'll have to wash that starch off, and we'll get to that when we start talking about dyeing. So the warp yarns are the yarns that are moved up and down, while the filling yarns are inserted across. At this point, I would really like for you to Google or DuckDuckGo or whatever other search engine you feel protects your privacy, uh, the term loom diagram. You will find some great diagrams on the internet and be able to see some of the things that I'm looking at as I look here uh, at Google at uh, a loom diagram. Um, because you're going to want to know these different parts of the loom in order to understand how the loom works. Actually, I was so excited in Animal Crossing New Horizon, my character received a whole loom. It's a two harness loom. They received this loom uh, from a balloon that I popped with a, a slingshot. Uh, and so I could see, obviously, Nintendo is a Japanese company. And so someone had, had gone to a lot of effort to exactly recreate most of the motions of the loom. Um, my little Animal Crossing character just kind of moves her arms uh, back and forth. So she's not actually doing the, the second motion of the loom, but the first and third motion of the loom are there. So the, the back of the loom, this uh, loom that I can see uh, my Animal Crossing character playing, there is a beam, uh, a large bar that holds all of the warp yarns before they have been uh, pulled through the loom. And it's called, very uh, unironically, the warp beam. And uh, it sounds like some sort of Star Trek thing, but there it is. It's the warp beam. And uh, I don't think it's a coincidence they called it a warp, right? right? You warp, uh, the something is warped, and uh, it, it all has to do with fabric originally. 
So the warp yarns come off of the warp beam and they typically go over another bar that's there to kind of, because the warp beam is often um, below the loom, right? And uh, uh, sort of at the back. And um, then it comes up over a bar onto the level of the lap of the weaver. And then the warp yarns are pulled through the heddles, which in industrial weaving are wires that have been twisted to have a little hole right in the middle or a metal bar that has a hole drilled through the middle. Uh, in ancient looms, the harness would have been uh, some yarns that are twisted around the, the uh, warp yarn. And these heddles, these wires with holes in them that the yarn is threaded through, are setting in harnesses. So heddles go in harnesses and the harnesses hold all of the heddles and depending on the pattern we want to make in the weaving, we may have put the first yarn, warp yarn through the heddle in harness one and then the second yarn through the first heddle in harness two and then the third yarn through the second heddle in harness one and the fourth yarn in the second heddle in harness two. So we now have yarns one, two, three, and four. They're all sitting next to each other in that order. But if we lift harness one, we are lifting yarns one and three. And if we lift harness two, we're lifting yarns two and four. After they pass through the heddles, which are attached or set in the harnesses, the yarns go through what's called a reed, which looks like a big comb. And this is another thing that's accurately uh, portrayed in my uh, Animal Crossing loom there. And so this big comb actually keeps the yarn separated right at the point of weaving and is also used to press against the filling yarns after they've been uh, interlaced through the woven fabric in order to tighten them up against each other. A really good weaver knows how uh, much pressure to apply onto the reed so that they tighten the yarns remembering that with every kind of bang against the uh, yarns as they're tightening, the yarns behind them receive kind of an echoing shock. And so you don't have to tighten it as completely as you want to the first time. The second time when you're tightening it with the yarn that was applied immediately after, you're actually going to continue to tighten the fabric up each time, probably for, for four or five times after you first uh, insert the yarn. The yarn is typically, the filling yarn is wrapped around something called a shuttle. Uh, and the shuttle could just be a stick, right, that has the yarn wrapped around it. Uh, it could be a, um, uh, it could be a, it looks sort of like a little boat that has a spindle in it, right? So, so again, you might want to um, check on uh, harnesses and uh, on shuttles and see what shuttles look like uh, there by um, checking on the internet. Um, and then, uh, I'm just typing in do not disturb because, um, for some reason everybody wants me today. Um, there it is right there. Do not disturb. Yes. See why that has to be so hard. I don't know. I'm recording. Leave me alone. All right, uh, so now I wanna talk about the, oh, and last but not least, there's the cloth beam, which is the uh, finished cloth that's sitting in your lap, right? And so you're weaving, you're reaching in front of you, and interestingly, um, uh, we can see the width of fabric growing as the, the technology improves, right? So originally, uh, we really uh, have to have the, to be able to pass the shuttle from one hand to the other. Uh, we don't have a real controlled way to do that, and so, 
so the fabric is just about shoulder width. But as we improve the technology, we begin to have uh, shuttles that can sort of ride across the surface of the of uh, the warp yarns uh, carrying that filling yarn and we begin to see the fabric getting wider and wider until we get to the industrial level where the shuttle is actually being hit with a hammer and it literally flies across the fabric and is captured on the other side and then at that point we have almost no um, uh, set width uh, that's being um, forced on us by the width of the human arm. So we can see changes in fashion that are actually created by the dictates of how wide a fabric can be produced. Now, I mentioned the three uh, motions of the loom. Uh, the first motion is uh, the what we call the shed, and this is where we create a kind of triangular opening uh, between warp yarns by lifting one of the harnesses, or we may pull it down. And the yarns that are lifted in their heddles that are attached to that harness as they're being raised are called risers. If we had uh, yarns that were being pulled down, and we could either have uh, the uh, yarns, the inactive yarns just staying stationary, in which case the shed would be formed below. Problem with that then is the warp yarns are tilted down and it the shuttle will tend to, to slide down towards the harness. So typically we have um, uh, we have risers instead of sinkers. Uh, so we create this triangular space uh, between uh, the two uh, sets of warp yarns. And I say two, we can have more than two harnesses. We could have four harnesses, 24 harnesses, but at any given time, only some yarns are rising and other yarns are staying the same. And so those are the two sets I'm talking about. Uh, remember how we had those two harnesses and we had the uh, yarns that were going um, into heddles in uh, every other uh, harness. Well, if we had four, we could have in fact had yarn one go into a heddle in harness one, yarn two go into a heddle in harness two, three into three, and four into four. And if we had lifted just harness one, then only every fourth yarn would have been lifted. But if we lift harness one and three, then every other yarn is lifted. And now we really begin an applied mathematical experience, which eventually leads to computers. It's really um, uh, beautiful and amazing if you think about the patterns. Gosh, I even remember there was an Angelina Jolie movie where she was some kind of assassin. And apparently the orders for assassination or their codes or their records or databases were hidden in weaving, right? They were like hiding as a weaving guild. I mean, crazy, but you know, um, uh, this ancient technology can form sort of a, a record, right? Um, the interlacings could represent ones and zeros in a way, if you think about it. So uh, every other would be uh, one, zero, one, zero, one, zero, with the ones being yarns that are raised. And so we could do an every other pattern, or we could lift two next to each other and leave one down, right? So that would be uh, one, one, zero, one, one, zero, etc. Uh, and of course, we will talk later about fancy weaves when we move into looms where every single warp yarn can be controlled individually. And that's where we can start to get an amazing variety of patterns created during weaving. So the first motion of the loom is to make the shed. And typically, uh, it's roughly 50-50 yarns that are being raised and yarns that stay the same to create this triangular opening that the shuttle can enter into. Now, putting the shuttle into that opening is what's called picking. And so the fill yarn goes into the shed. And in a, a large mechanical loom, in fact, interestingly, the shed is open vertically, 
right? So the warp yarns are coming down towards the, the uh, fabric, and so the warp beam is above and the cloth beam is below. And so this um, shed is created that's actually kind of a V, and then the shuttle flies down the base of this V from one side to the other. And in fact, the shuttle is just hit by a hammer that's being pounded against the shuttle from each side uh, using, in the early days, a water mill. Uh, and so then that's picking, right? The shuttle just flies across from one side to the other. Uh, the third motion of the loom is called beading, and this is where we take the reed and we kind of comb through the, the filling, uh, through the warp yarns, right, to pull the yarn that's just been picked, that filling yarn, against the formed fabric. And each time we beat, uh, we're tightening the yarn we just uh, inserted into the fabric, that filling yarn that we just picked, and we're tightening several successive yarns. So that's where I said before, a good weaver gets a feel for, and I'm kind of leaning back, right? I'm making mo weaving motions in front of me. So a good weaver gets a feel for how uh, hard they have to beat in order to get the uh, uh, evenness that they're looking for. Now, the there is a fourth motion of the loom, but it doesn't happen with every weave. So with every weave, we would have the shed, right? So uh, in the case of my loom in Animal Crossing, uh, my little a character, if her legs could reach it, would step on a pedal, and that pedal would raise harnesses. So that's motion one. Motion two, she would toss. If her arms were holding a shuttle, her little stumpy hands, she would toss a shuttle from one hand uh, and catch it on the other side. So that's motion two. So stomp, toss, and then she would... Uh, uh, pull the reed with her free hand she would pull the reed towards her body right and in the animal crossing the shed is formed and the reed comes towards my little character i just don't see a shuttle moving uh, so those are the motions and then if i want to i can have my little animal crossing character get down off the bench um, i'm using a piano bench um, uh, animal crossing hasn't tossed me a weaving bench yet and uh do the fourth motion of the loom, which is called take up. So eventually, as you're weaving, the the woven fabric moves closer and closer and closer to the reed, to where you're barely banging it and you can't even form a shed because it's too small, right? There's not enough yarn. At that point, you have to loosen tension on the warp beam. Uh, typically, there was sort of a crank that was holding it in place. Loosen tension or leave the crank on the, the cloth beam side and wind up the fabric onto the cloth beam until the edge of the formed fabric comes all the way to the uh, front end of the loom and then uh, click the um, stop in the gear on the front side and then go to the back and crank the warp yarns back to create the level of tension you need so crank 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 until it's really as tight as you can physically make it right that's how much tension those warp yarns are under uh, obviously if it's a, a mechanical loom that's being operated by a, a machine then uh, it's being um, uh, wound around the uh, cloth beam all the time so that's why we typically don't um, think of it because it happens uh, only periodically so we've gone all the way from uh, looms that are uh, backstrap looms, right, to uh, hand looms that are used by crofters, right, uh, that's what my um, animal crossing loom is, uh, to uh, uh, water-powered looms in, in early mills, to um, electric-powered looms. And today when I visit a, a weaving mill, 
Um, still called a mill, even though uh, it doesn't grind uh, flour anymore. The same ma machinery that was used to grind grain was used to power the looms. And so weave weaving is still done in what are called mills. Uh, and so if I visit a mill today, I have to wear ear protection. The, the looms are, are very loud and there can be thousands, hundreds of looms in a huge airplane, airplane hangar sized room and only one or two people walking through and double checking that all the machines are operating properly. And then a group of people at the back, uh, setting up, uh, looms, you know, a great movie to watch about weaving. If you really want to, uh, get a feel for it is, um, Norma Ray, um, uh, Sally Fields won her Oscar for Norma Ray. That's when she said, you like me, you really, really like me. And uh, it's uh, about a, a woman who works in a weaving mill. And uh, you can really see all of the different uh, activities of weaving in that particular movie. Um, uh, and so it can be a great way to learn about the, the not only the history of um, uh textile trade unions in uh, the American South, but also about weaving. Uh, that's why I recommend it. So just had a chance to think through what happens during weaving. It's sort of a weird thing to include in a podcast, but um, got to uh, give you a chance to begin to activate your imagination. So definitely look up things like Lowell Mill, uh, which is in Lowell in the U.S., or look up some different uh, mills, museums in uh, England and see what sort of videos they have where they demonstrate the looms that they have. Mm -hmm.